Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. 1941, Oscar Schindler, an industrialist, a war profiteer, a man that was a part of the Nazi party, got a burden for people who were being mutilated, being killed, and being burned and shot. We, we hear numbers of six million Jews that were uh, killed in, uh, through the genocide of Hitler's army. But there was actually 11 million killed during the course of that, that several-year genocide. It included physically handicapped children. It included uh, blacks. It included uh, communists. It included anybody outside of the Nazi party. 11 million people at that time throughout Europe there was almost 9 million Jews. And at the end of that, there was less than 3 million left. And in his plant that he had, he was an incredibly, incredibly wealthy man. He would make money off of war and things that were, that were going on through enamels and through ammunition plants. And he, he spent his, his time being an entrepreneur and being an, a, a guy that people would go to. He was a go-to guy during this time. But at some point, something changed in his life inside of him that he saw a need for something bigger than himself, bigger than profit margins, bigger than just being a part of a party that was at the time ruling the world, not only Europe, but ruling the world. And during that time, he began to employ secretly Jews that were literally about to go to camps to be killed, to be mutilated. And he would, he would purchase them, if you will, on the black market. And nobody knew what he was doing. And he used the auspices of his plant to bring people over to work in his ammunition plants. He employed 1,750 people. But of those, almost 1,200 were Jews that he literally was rescuing out of certain deaths. From 1941 to 1944, the height of 1944, he had rescued nearly 1,200 Jews from death through the Holocaust. That's an impact. You see, it's an impact beyond just the the 1,200 that he gave. Why? Because now today there's over 7,000 descendants from those 1,100 and some odd people. You see, an impact goes beyond just an impression. Oppression, an impression that we make in our life focuses on me, focuses on people. But an impact always, always focuses on other people. And if for a Christian, for you and I, in, in the family of God, it focuses always on Christ and his name being made famous. You see, we want to make an impact in this world. But I like the way Oscar Schindler, uh, towards the end of this time when when the Nazis were defeated and and, and all the Jews that were left over were released, this is an accurate uh, depiction of what took place. But historians said that he actually went further than that. That he looked at the pen on his lapel and he said, I could have bought more back. He looked at his watch and he said, I could have bought eight more through this. And he went on. I mean, it just played out for hours is this man literally stood on the railroad tracks weeping because he should have done more. 1,198 people were alive because this man saw something greater than himself, something bigger than a party, something bigger than money. But yet he walked away feeling like he could have done more. 
And you know, that, that, that really shouldn't be any different than where we are today because the reality is, is God did not save us to sit still. God didn't save us to go around and make a bunch of impressions on people. Hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got this shirt. I'm a member of this church. I'm a member of that church. No, no, no. That's an impression. That is a display. But what we want to do is go to the inner core. We don't want to be surface Christians. We want to go to the inner core of the issue, the problem, so much so that when we die, we can say we left this place better than the way we found it. Some people call it a legacy. I just simply call it an impact. I want, I want to talk to you today about that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 6. We're going to read a few verses. One of the most well-known passages of Scripture throughout the, uh, the Gospels. Jackie Robinson, as you're turning, in 1947 was the first African-American to play Major League Baseball outside of the Negro Baseball League. For decades, it had only been where blacks could play only in that league that was dedicated to African-American players only. In 1947, the Brooklyn Dodgers saw in this man something greater that surpassed his color. And Jackie Robinson was drafted by the Brooklyn Dodgers. But you see, he didn't just make an impression on the players. He didn't just make an impression on the people that came to watch the game. No, no, no. It went much further than that. It went to the core of the issue because it alone became one of the catalysts to the civil rights movement. Long before you hear about other people that, that, that are depicted in civil rights movement, when he stepped out on that diamond and he put a bat on his shoulder and he began to crack away at that ball and he was sending it over the fence, leading the year in stolen bases, leading in hits and runs batted in. They could not look away because his impact had been made. But interestingly, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a Billy Graham. He wasn't a Billy Sunday or a D.L. Moody. He was a baseball player, which tells me this. You can grow and you can be rooted right where you are. Even in a baseball game, a dancer, a mailman, a fireman, whatever the case may be, a teacher or a nurse, you can make an impact when you do. Check this out. When you do what God has called you to do, but don't just do it. You do it great. And in the end, you give God the glory. Jackie Robinson became the rookie of the year in 1947, a time when the African-American had no value in the country in which you and I live. He began to break down walls. Why? Because he went further than just making an impression. He went on in 1972 to be inducted in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. He made the all-century team. And Jackie Robinson, and I quote, says this, A life is not important except in how it affects other lives. Jackie Robinson, before his death, said, I don't want to be remembered for a great baseball player, though he was. I don't want to be remembered as the first black man to swing a bat in a major league stadium outside of the auspices of a Negro league. I want to be reminded as a man who believed that something was greater than where we were in life at that moment. It's how it affects and impacts other people. An impression is a vague notion by definition, a remembrance or a belief marked by surface pressure. Watch this, though. Impact is an influence or an effect that goes beyond the surface. Let me say it this way. It is a lasting impression. We've got to get to the core of the issue. We've got to get to the core and the heartbeat of what's going on in our life today. I don't know if you saw the movie Bruce Willis several years ago. One of my favorite movies was uh, Armageddon. Anybody see that movie? Great movie. And in the movie, there was one of the most intelligent men 
MIT graduate, all these doctors, PhDs, and he's standing there, standing in this room, and, and all of these generals and all these people are coming along, and they're saying, you know, man, we can just send up a nuke, and we can land a nuke on that meteor, and, and, and man, a nuclear power, that's the biggest thing we know, that this, when this atom splits and this nuclear uh, uh, um, chemical reaction happens, it's going to blow it off course, and this man looked at it, he said, no, it won't even budget, you know why? He said, it's like this. It's like you take a, a firecracker and you put it in your hand and it goes off. It's going to burn your hand. But you take that same menial small firecracker and you close it up and you take all the oxygen out of it. You put it on the inside, it's going to blow your hand off. He said in order to change the trajectory of this meteor or to destroy it, watch what he said. Listen to me. This was awesome. This hit me last week. you got to go to the center of it. you got to go to the core of it. you got to bury yourself inside of it. Then when it goes off, it's going to change everything. Let me tell you something, guys. This town, this community, this world does not need another church. Let me say that to you unapologetically. What we do need is we need people who join the ranks of other soldiers of the army of Christ to say, hey, I'm going to get to the center core issue and I'm going to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and I'm going to reach people for the glory of God. If it's not okay with you and I today that 20-some thousand people in Thomas and Upson County are not in church today, then guess what? We're just living a surface Christianity. We're making an impression. We've got to step over into the depths of the true issue. To make an impact says that we see what really is hanging in the balance. How many of you are a child of God? You're saved, you're going to heaven when, when you die. You know it. Let me tell you something. Somebody, somewhere along the way, saw fit to reach into your heart, into your life, and give you something that you internalized that changed you, not just on the outside, but the outside, inside, the whole side. The Bible says to wash you throughly, not just thoroughly, but throughly, from your heart outwardly. Why? Because Solomon told his son, the wisest man to ever live, said this. He said, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. This is our wellspring. This is our core. If we don't change hearts, hear me, Thomaston, hear me, Northridge, if you don't change hearts, you're never going to change the way people People talk. You're not going to change the way they walk. You're not going to change the way they give. You're not going to change the way they live. You got to get to the inside court. You got to make an out impact. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me real quick. John chapter 6, verse 4 through 13. Aside from the resurrection miracle of Jesus Christ, there's only one other miracle listed in all four Gospels, only one. And that is the feeding of the 5,000. I asked myself why, why that was the case. In my prayer over the last few days, God revealed to me this thing. That when we meet the bare, essential, irreducible need of people, like in this case, food, a needing of them to be fed, guess what? We have their ears. We have their hearts. We have their attention. Then we can change the world. I, I think sometimes... And, and, and please forgive me if this offends you, but I, I'm just going to be real with you. I think sometimes we're over-churched. We're too stinking spiritual for our own good, if I can say it that way. Can I say it that way? Not at me if that's okay. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. I went and preached a revival over in Luthersville uh, last year and at Rehoboth Baptist Church with a guy who I knew many, many years ago. The, all the guy ever does is smile. It makes me sick. He smiles all the time. I'm like, dude, everything's not that great. He goes, I know, but it's just great to smile. And it's so magnetic. It's so energetic for me. And he called me over to preach. And, 
And, and man, I walked in that place, guys, I had never, I thought I entered into a tattoo parlor. Man, they were piercings, they were, I mean, motorcycles parked out front. I felt like I missed something, man. I thought I had pulled into a club. And I walked in there, man, and these people were smiling just like the pastor, and, and it even irritated me even more. And I walked in, and, and we're, we had our little band, and we come up, and, and, and man, I just started feeling something I hadn't felt in a while. I'm just going to admit that to you. And I walked in, and got, I think Doug went with us one night. Several other people maybe in this room went with us. And I got ready to preach, and man, I got up and preached. And, and before I got up, the, the pastor got up there, and he goes, all right, guys, we're ready to take up the offer. Man, that place erupted. Man, they started screaming and shouting. I'm like going, what is wrong with these jokers? Man, they're screaming and shouting about taking money out of their wallet. I mean, and not, nonetheless, their wallet was attached to a chain. They those big biker wallets, and they're all, you know, and they start giving money, and they're, they're just celebrating. I'm going, man, these people, they're, they're drinking somewhere in the back room. I know they're drunk. And the pastor came over there, and the band's playing. I mean, I, went, I said this. I'll never forget this as long as I live. I said, dude, what's wrong with your folks? He said, yeah, man, I just, I just get that Bible. He's, he's so country. Oh, my gosh. I mean, John Boy Walton looks like city folk compared to this guy. He goes, yeah, Mark. <laughs> he said, Mark, I just read the Bible, and I just tell them the truth, and they don't know no better. They just do it. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that. Sometimes we get so over-churched, so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good. Sometimes I think we need to be reminded of the simplicity of the gospel. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was lame, but now I can walk. And take that and go give it to somebody. And make an impact. I love the boy who was blind from birth in the gospels. And Jesus went to him and he could have, he could have put his, eyes, his hands on his eyes. He could have not even touched him, Steve. That boy's faith could have made him whole alone. We see that in other accounts. But I love what he did to him. Hear me, don't miss this, church, because this doesn't sit well in the modern culture in which we live today. Watch this. He said, I spit in the dirt and he put mud on his eyes and he said, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam in the Greek means to be sent. Why did he send him walking? I'm going to tell you why. Because God doesn't save people just to see for the sake of seeing. He saves them. He regenerates them. He sanctifies them, sets them apart so that they'll be up and about the Father's business being sent into a lost and dying world so that the impact that's been made in their life they can take to a people that can't see spiritually. Let me say it this way. When he was confronted by the Pharisees of the day, they said, man, this guy, Jesus, he's, he's an idiot. He's a blasphemer. He, he, he's a magician. You know what he said? Well, allow me, if you will, to quote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. No, he didn't do that. Well, allow me, if you will, to bring my pastor over and share the message with you. He didn't do that. You know what he said? He said only what he knew to say, what had been internalized in his own life, in his own account. And he said these words, I don't know who this man is. I don't have a lot of spiritual jargon to offer you. I've not been over-churched, if you will, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That alone was enough to change the world, so much so that it made it in the Scriptures. John chapter 6, I want to read with you, if I may. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, very important, and we'll dissect this at some point in time later. This is full of golden nuggets. Oh, my gosh, verse 5. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, 
And seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy enough bread that these may eat? He asked the rhetorical question. Anytime Jesus asks you a question, let me say to you boldly, he already knows the answer. He's asking it so that you will recognize what's going on. How shall we buy that these may eat, he asked. Verse 6, but he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Listen to Philip, verse 7. Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them should even have, say it with me, a little. Say it again, that they should even have a little. Verse 7 is the epitome of where we live today. We're only wanting to impress the world. We're only wanting to change a couple of things. We don't want to impact the world. We're just like Philip. If you put that in modern day terms, a denarii was one day's wage. Culturally, they would have worked about 10 hours within a day. If you apply that to modern uh, minimum wages, eight bucks an hour, you're looking at some $16,000. He's saying, I got $16,000 over here, uh, Jesus. But even that won't be enough. What we have, in our, listen to me, what we have in our hand, Philip said, is not even enough to buy bread alone that each man would even have set with me a little. That was the problem presented. Watch what happens in verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, and underscore this in your Bible in verse 9. There's a lad. The word lad literally means a young man. Could be from anywhere from 13 to about 25 years of age. There's a lad here with five barley loaves and two small fish. Five, by the way, is a number for grace in Scripture. Every time you see it, it means grace. Two is always a number for union and or witness. Always. Very important as we read this. But what are they, he asked, amongst so many? Not only do we not have enough money, Ronnie, he said, I, I, we got fish and bread. This little boy just brought me a lunch. You and I would laugh if somebody brought something like that and said, hey, here, here's $7.25. Let's go build a church. You and I would laugh and go, what is that amongst so many? Let's watch what Jesus said about it. Verse 10, I love this. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Just, just have them to rest. Just have them, if I, if I may give you a little bit more, just have them be still and know that I am God. Just have them quit working for just a minute. And then there's a little statement there that if you don't read this, Rusty, you'll overlook it. And he said, then there was much grass in the place. Why? That's so weird. It doesn't, you don't see that in any other account. But in John's gospel, John comes at Jesus from the approach of the majesty of God, the, the, the kingship, if you will. Watch what he said. He said, had the people sit down for there was much grass in the place. Go read Psalm 23. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... Watch what he does. He has them sit down in the green pastures. He was about to feed them, wasn't he? He was about to let them get a little bit comfortable. He says, there's much grass in the place. So the men sat down, and the number of the men only was 5,000. The reason it says men, when you see that in Scripture, doesn't mean that there wasn't women and children there. It just means in Scripture and culturally, even now today in the Middle East, they don't have value, so they only acknowledge the men. So there might have been some fifteen to 20,000 people there that day. And Jesus took the loaves. Because Jesus just simply takes what you bring him. And watch what he did. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples distributed to those sitting down. And then likewise, the fish. Look at that. Just each one had a little. Each person got a little nibble. 
Do, do the math with me for just a minute. 20,000 people sitting on the side of a bank. And no less, there was grass in the place because in the Middle Eastern culture, water was scarce. And if water's scarce, you're not going to have grass. This was an oasis. This was a place picked out by the sovereignty of God. And he sent them down the cool of the day. And a little boy walks up with the grace of God and the witness. And something's about to happen. Let me tell you what it was. He didn't just give them a little. He gave them all that they wanted. Because that's what God does. He fills us full. Now watch what he says. So then when they were filled, so after that, he said unto his disciples, Now, I love this, gather up the fragments fragments that remain so that nothing, and can I get a little liberty here, so that no one be lost. Jesus said, I come that none would perish, that none would miss it. That no one would be left out. I don't care if you're red, white, black, or blue. If you have a million dollars, if you don't have a a penny to your name, it would be that none would perish, but that all come to repentance. That daddies rise up and be daddies. That they rise up and be husbands. That women rise up and be a Titus woman or a Proverbs 31 wife. That children rise up and obey their parents as this is the first commandment with promise. He's saying, I don't want any to miss the mark because here's the deal. If we're just going through church to make an impression, you're going to completely miss it. Do y'all have See much I'm spitting right here. It's holy water. Get right here and let it land on you. It's good stuff. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that they remain so that nothing be lost. Watch this. Oh, my gosh. If you start reading this in verse 12, you miss the uh crescendo moment in this whole thing. Watch what happens. Therefore, they gathered them up, what, the fragments, and filled 12 baskets with fragments and then I love how he just inserts this of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten and let me say and were filled let's pray Lord I thank you for your word today that you hold above your own name Lord I know that we won't get far in our points but we got far in your word today and I pray in the name of Jesus you'd help me to rightly divide it in truth and with power in Jesus name we pray everybody said amen If you're a note taker, I want you to write down to make an impact in this world. The first thing you want to do is you want to be committed. You need to be committed. We talked last week. I believe one of the major hindrances today in our culture, in the church culture, is that we don't want to give God our all. We want to hold something back. God, you can have this, you can have that, but hey, God, don't touch that. Let me tell you something. Banning Leapshire, what Jesus culture said several weeks ago, he said, I chuckle when people murmur and get upset about, I can't believe the church wants 10% of my money. I can't believe God wants 10% of my money. I don't get that. I don't even have the money to give. Can I tell you something? Just like he said, God doesn't want 10% of anything you got. He wants everything you got from the floor to the top of the ceiling, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. But he allows you to give 10% of it to the church. Why? Because he died for the church. The church becomes the catalyst to reach other people. This is our body. This is God's house. He didn't give you 10% of Jesus. He didn't, look at the, he didn't look at his son and say, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. Holy Spirit, come on over. We're about to chat. Hey, Jesus, come over here. I almost failed. Did y'all see that? And, and he didn't say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down there and spend about 10% of your time with them for the next 33 years and just disappear. I want you to give them only 10%, Holy Spirit. I want you to answer only 10% of their prayers. I want you to be available only 10% of the time. And No, no, no. He said, give them all of yourself. He said, told the disciples, sit here. And he took Peter, James, and John a little further. But the 
Bible says he went all the way to the cross, even to the point of death on a cross. Why? Because he didn't give you 10%. He gave you all of himself. And he wants all of you. He wants you to put yourself to work for the glory of God. We'd rather, however, just show up, take that proverbial ticket, and, and, and we're not going to have one in this church, but just put that little punch card out there and, and you just walk in on Sunday and you go, <laughs> call your buddy, man, I went to church today. God is not impressed by you attending church. God wants all that you have so that you may be a catalyst of change to make an impact for a lost and dying world. Stop punching tickets and start making a change. Quit being a spectator and get off the bench and get in this thinking game and be a participator. How many of you have ever heard this? I know some of you school teachers probably did, especially in math. I remember a teacher, I don't remember what grade I was in, said to the class, but to me, personalized this. Mark, would you rather I give you one penny and I'll double it every day for 30 days or do you just want $10,000? I'll take 10 grand. Yeah, that's a no-brainer, teacher. You're kind of goofy, but I'll take 10 grand. You take .01 and you multiply that times 2. Whatever you get, you multiply that times 2. You take whatever you get and you multiply that times 2. In 27 days, you'll have $1.3 million. Not million pennies. $1.3 million. Do the math. Some of y'all look at me like, dude, you're crazy. Do it. But to be an impactor, what if? Watch this. What if? If we got 350, 400 people in the room today, what if? What if just each of you brought one person to the house of God next week, it would double. What if you went out and reached every one of you two people and then told those two people to reach two people? In 27 days, you would see 1.3 million converts make an impact. A soldier, and I said this last week, we had a soldier with us and Great service, and I, I praise the Lord for that. Soldier, and I can detest for myself, at 17 years of age, I, I entered into Fort Benning, Georgia. I weighed, I think, 142 pounds wet with clothes on and boots. And I entered into a man's army, and I was blown away. I remember the day that I got there. They call it the shock treatment. That's what they call it at Fort Benning. And, and I remember I had two big duffel bags bigger than myself. And I'm going somewhere. This is a huge metaphor. Two big duffel bags. And I remember the guy telling me, hold each one of them out. Each one of them probably weighed about 60 or 70 pounds. And he says, hold them like this. And there's drill sergeants just swarming around us. And they're screaming in our face. And, and I'm going, what, God, what did I do? This is stupid. And he goes, you volunteered for this. I know, can I go home? You know, and, I'm, and I remember that, and I remember these big drill sergeant walking up. He was about 280 pounds, huge black guy. The bill pulled down just like that, and he walked in. I kid you not, Joker's name was Freddy Krueger. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. 
Not a metaphor. And he walked in, Drill Sergeant Kruger. And he walked and he had taps on the heels of his boots. How many guys in the military? You remember those? He'd come on. Click, click, click. I am Drill Sergeant Kruger. And I went, oh my God, I'm on Elm Street. And I remember he got in front of me and he goes, he, he told us, they said, get on your face. And I got down on my face and, and he, they told we understood what to do. And I got down in a push-up position and those bags are still on me. And I'm like, again, 17 years old, I'm male weight, 140 pounds. I was exhausted. I was already broken. And, and he got down and I started doing push-ups. And then I got to the, I couldn't do another push-up and I landed flat on my face. He took his hat off. He ripped it off. I think he ripped his face off and he got down in front of me and he laid right in front of me. He goes, what do you want to do? I wanted to say, go home right now. I said, I want to be, I want to be a soldier. He said, well, you better reach down inside of your gut, boy. And you better grab onto something you never even knew you had. You, and he said this, and I'll never forget it. 1987, June the 28th. Day one of hell on Elm Street. He said, now get up. I really thought that meant get on your feet. That is not what that meant. I'm like, praise God, I have made a friend on Elm Street. And I was down like this. And I jumped to my feet. <clears throat> he knocked me back down. And he said, and he said this to me, he said, boy, reach down inside of you and do something with your life. I don't know how many push-ups I did that day, Alan. But I started doing push-ups again. I kid you not. I started doing push-ups, and it wasn't me. It wasn't my physical. It was an adrenaline that came inside of me. And, man, I started, and he said, that's what I'm talking about, boy. You keep pushing. And I kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. 1999. Satan attacked my home. Satan attacked my life. I had never been a man that would pray on his knees. I wouldn't do it. It just seems silly to me. Why, if it's the posture of my heart that I've always heard preachers preach, why do I need to be on my knees? Well, in 1999, guess what? It was as if another drill sergeant stepped over my life and said, boy, what do you want to do? Get on your face. I got on my face before a holy God. And I could not get up. I remember laying there, and I remember thinking, God, I just want you to do something. He said, no, do something with yourself. And I put my hand down on the floor. He said, now reach down inside of you and do something. And you know what's funny? That day, when I reached down inside of myself, I grabbed on to Jesus. Psalms 3 said he's the lifter of my head as the band comes. Listen, he lifted up my head. And I'm looking at him and I see him like I've never seen him before. I don't know, I don't know if this falls in somebody's lap today, but you may be sitting there going, man, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of pressing on. Not only do I not love my spouse, I don't even like him. I don't like her. I don't want nothing to do. I don't even like my kids today. I don't want to be a school teacher anymore. I don't want to be a nurse. I don't like my job. I don't like what God is doing to me. Can I tell you something? It is in our moments of despair and brokenness on our face that God says, hey, just reach down inside of you and grab hold of me. Get up and do something. Mark, I don't have the ability. 
Oh, let me tell you, that's a mouthful of God's fixing to do something. It's when you don't have the ability. It's when you've come to the end of you. That true commitment is made in Christ. It's when you have done all you can do. And you can't even walk. And all of a sudden you just have something inside of you that just allows you to just walk again. It's when you lay in bed and you go, I don't even want to get up. And he reaches down so gently and he picks up your head. He says, but you've got to get up. i got something for you to do. It's when you're inside of yourself going, I can't love him anymore. God, you don't realize what he did to me. And God says, oh, yes, I do because you did the same thing to me. Reach down inside yourself. You see, to make an impact, you've got to be committed You've got to be committed to the right now in life, no matter what. We don't have a drill sergeant coming behind us going, get up, get up, you can do it. we got the ever-sweet voice of the Holy Spirit of God, the comforter of God. You know what he's saying to us today? He's saying, Daddy, you can do it. Mama, you, you can keep going. You don't even have to love them, but just be obedient to me. You can do it. Because I'm going to bless you, not because of what you feel, but I'm going to bless you because of who I am. you got to be committed to the church. Oh, why do I need to go to church? Jesus didn't die for just you. He died for the church. He died for the ecclesia. He died for this gathering. He died for what's going to come out of this. Because, hey, He can heal your life. But He don't just heal your life to heal you to walk out of here and go, look what God did. He healed you so that you go out and you make an impact for the glory of God. This town needs to be shaken at its very core and say, quit stinking complaining that you don't have any kind of economic whatever. Get up and be a mama and a daddy and a man and a woman of God and do something with what I've given you. He don't need your gifts. He just needs you to step up and make a commitment. Every head bowed all over the place. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God, today, I don't know you as Lord and Savior, but I want to. I want to know that kind of power that Mark's talking about. I want to know the Holy Spirit. I want to make a commitment. But God, I have failed you. If that's you today, Pray this prayer in faith with me right now from your heart to God. Dear Jesus, I have failed you. I want to know you today as Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sin. Save me. Save me, Jesus. Today I make you Lord of my life. You pray that prayer from your heart to God in faith. I want you right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to lift your hand up right now. Lift it up high. Hands are going up. God bless you, sir, and you, sir, and you, ma'am, and you, sir, and you. Just hold them up for just a moment. I'm the only one looking. God bless you, son. Back in the back. Little ones, I see your heart. God bless you. I want everybody to look this way for just a moment. Satan is a liar, and he's a deceiver, and what he's telling you right now, he's saying to you, I'm going to go ahead and call him out. He's saying, you can't get that because of what you've done. Can I tell you, you can get it in spite of what you've done. Bow your heads one more time. If you prayed and asked Jesus Christ into your heart, i got men and women down front. 
I want you to come right now. They're just going to pray with you. You're not joining anything. I want you to come right now. If you pray right now, don't think about it. Don't debate it. Don't argue it in yourself. Come right now. Just come now. Right now. They're just going to pray with you. I promise. Come now. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. You will never stand for him out there if you don't stand for him in here. Come on. I'm talking to you. I know that it's just hard for you. Amen. God bless you. Y'all pray with these folks. God bless you. Thank you for people who are bold. Here's what I want to do. The doors of our church stand open if you'd like to be a part of this family, this body of believers that don't have all the answers, but man, we know the one who does. We just want to be up and about his business. We want to be up and about what God's doing in this town. You come right now. There are people that'll help you with that. If you need a Bible, if you need anything, if you want to come down and say, I gave my life to Jesus today. I'm going to stand down front. If you just want to come and slap me a high five and say, hey man, got you and walk away. Just to simply say, God, I heard your voice today.